welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. It's been a couple of weeks. I'm really happy to have you back. Thank you so much for waiting for this new episode. Or if this is your first one, welcome. I'm Alex Salzberg. I'm an animator, a writer. I'm becoming more and more comfortable calling myself a podcast host. And this is my podcast where I talk to creative people in my growing creative community about what's going on in our creative lives. I'm hoping that this podcast captures the feeling of getting coffee or a drink or, or a phone call with a creative friend, old or new, and having one of those conversations that recharges you and inspires you and makes you feel excited about being a creative person in this world. In three minutes, you'll hear my conversation with experimental animator Ariel Grubb. A couple weeks ago, we met up in the Boston area to talk about Ariel's recent existential crisis about their career and their realization that both their career and their personal life needed a major and sudden overhaul. It's as um, edge of your seat dramatic as it sounds. It's a great story. Uh, they then take us in depth through some dark creative madness as they tell us the story of their latest independent film. Also very edge of your seat. I, I mean, this whole conversation is so good. I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, we're also going to touch on what it was like to graduate college during the lockdown in 2020. Uh, we'll touch on teaching and we'll just kind of talk in general about that early career hunger for opportunities. I'm in Tel Aviv right now and I've been here a few weeks. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that my wife and I uh, have been splitting our time between the Boston area and Tel Aviv for the past couple of years. We've been doing that for a variety of reasons. It includes her work, which is more location specific than mine, but it also includes uh, the communities we're a part of and just the life experiences we want to have at this time. For me, the experience of kind of moving around every couple months. And that includes our time in Connecticut, which I talked a lot about. Um, that's been newer for me. And there are a lot of things I like and some things I don't like. It's definitely exciting. I lived in the Boston area most of my life, so it's cool to mix it up. The change in perspective and the change in routine is nothing short of energizing. And that includes the creative inspiration I get from being in another place, particularly somewhere so different and foreign to where I grew up. But it's also really, really challenging to move around a lot, especially when you're in a place for a couple of months at a time. There's just constantly this ticking clock feeling. And that's something I struggle with in life anyway. But when I know I'm going to leave somewhere soon, I always feel this sense of urgency, which is not always the best for my own mental health. It's also just hard to put down roots. It's hard to know which friends and communities and activities and routines and all those things to invest in when you know that it's limited. Tel Aviv in general is just a very interesting, very international, very creative, very artsy, entrepreneurial, very energetic city. Um, all of those things have really been a great experience for me, both creatively and just from a mental health place. And since I'm here through July, uh, you will hear some Tel Aviv-based creative people pop up on the podcast in the coming months. And I'm really excited for you to meet them and share in some of the perspective that I've been gaining from spending time here. But for now, let's travel back a couple of weeks to Boston and meet our guest and hear their connection to me. My name is Ariel Grubb. I use they, them pronouns. My connection to you is we, we met at Leslie when you were my professor <laughs> for senior studio. That's right. A while ago. And now we work together in That's various ways. <laughs> yeah. Class of 2020, right? Yeah. And that was a great year for everybody. Um, <laughs> well, before we get to that, Ariel, what is something you are currently going through in your creative life and or where it overlaps with your whole life? Yeah, it it always, be, there's always an overlap. Always an overlap. <laughs> 
there's a lot going on, but I think the main thing is that I'm on the tail end of an existential crisis relating mm. to my art and relating to my identity. And it's not really a problem anymore. At the beginning, it was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm scared. And now it is like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's cool and fun and okay. exciting. <laughs> I have a lot of questions yeah, about this. Yeah, go for it. Um, tail end is a great place to be in an existential <laughs> yeah. crisis. It does sound like that tail end is like almost an acceptance tail end, yeah. not, not a um, discovery yeah, or figuring it's, it out. Yeah, it's a learning to love it kind of yeah. situation. When you were not in the tail end, when you were right mm, in the middle, yeah. what was the crisis? What, what felt torn or confusing or... So... Over the summer, I got a, a big break job. Oh, I yeah. started working at a studio, at an animation studio, making a show. And it was the first time that I had done something like this. So it yeah. was it was huge for me. I was really excited. I thought, like, this is going to change everything. This is what I've been working for for years and years. And it was not an overly negative experience. Yeah. Um, there were aspects that I, I enjoyed, but it was incredibly grueling and incredibly <laughs> draining yeah. and not at all creative. And I was so terrified because I was realizing that I hated it. <laughs> right. I hated it and I was not happy and I was so scared because of that, because I thought that this was going to be it. This was the thing that I had been trying to do for years and me not loving it was like like the end like what am i doing yeah so was the fear more like oh no i have to stop my dream or was the fear like oh no i have to do this the rest of my life like what were you kind more of kind of, of both yeah. like if this is the thing that i am working towards like is this going to be it forever right and that's definitely not the case like the job that i was doing was definitely like lowest level grunt work possible yeah it's definitely not something that applies to the entirety of the animation industry um but it did feel like that it was a lot of the same thing every single day just drawing lines and yeah. and nothing but lines <laughs> and they were not my even my own lines they were tracing other people's lines wow. and it was that for for 40 hours a week so how how many days i'm getting like really granular now but yeah. like how many days into it did you let yourself first think the thought i might hate this it was it was about a, like a month then okay at first i was scared that i wasn't good at it because i kept making mistakes yeah. and the people in charge kept being like you need to try that again or redo it completely that happening was the scariest thing ever like yeah. oh no i'm not good at this what if i can't do this right so the first fear wasn't what if i hate this it mm. was what if I'm bad. Right. Yeah, exactly. But which led to I, it's I'm bad because I hate this or I hate this because I'm bad at it. Because of this existential crisis, because of this job, I was trying to figure out a solution and trying yeah. to figure out like, okay, if this isn't it, if this isn't right for me, where do I need to go because of this? And like, I've always... Or not always, but I've known for a long time that I am mostly an experimental artist right. and I do all kinds of different mediums. And strictly TV animation is not necessarily what I want to do forever, 100% of the time. So I, I was kind of clinging to that. Like, I would be able to do other things if this isn't going to work out. And right around that time is when I went to the Ottawa International Animation Festival, yeah. which is always a very emotional experience for me. Like, I've only been three times, but each time has been life-changing in some mm. way or another um, for various reasons. I always come out of it like very emotionally raw. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's such an intense exposure to it art. Is. If you can give us even just like some snapshots of some of those emotional journeys oh, yeah. in, the, in the different years. Um, the year we were there together in 2019, um, one of my close friends had to go to the hospital. Right. And that was very, very terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, but also I was just dealing with so many dumb like college senior personal things and I was mm. way too wrapped up in like the other people on the trip and what are they going to think of me and like hurting people's feelings and getting my feelings hurt and not really focusing on what was important about the festival which right. was the animation itself. It, I, kn- <laughs> I knew you back then and, and yeah. in fact we spent time in the same uh Canadian hospital yeah. waiting room and, and that and that student your friend uh was totally fine mm-hmm. for the if anyone is oh, yeah. in suspense. <laughs> She's um, okay. I get the sense and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is like a guess yeah. that you tend to slip into leadership roles. Oh, like wow. even socially. <laughs> I think so. I don't think I was aware of that at the time. Mm-hmm. I think I was trying so hard to fit in that I didn't realize that a lot of people were were trying to fit in with me. Right. And because of that, not knowing, I ended up hurting some people yeah. on that trip unintentionally, but it was definitely like my fault because mm. I didn't realize that I definitely had some kind of influence or like you said, like some kind of leadership role. I don't think I was even trying to do that, but I do think that I slipped into that. This is a weird question. Yeah. Where are you in your family's birth order? <laughs> that would, That's, yeah. You probably guess that I'm an oldest child. I'm Same. the oldest of five. Well, okay. That explains everything. We <laughs> yeah. can end the podcast right here. We understand you the now. Psychoanalyzation. <laughs> to bring this back yeah. um, to sort of your existential crisis. I went to Ottawa for the first time as a faculty member mm. rather than a student, which was very cool. And got to be back for the first time since COVID and reconnect with a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time, including a mentor of mine. And we don't have to say her name on the podcast, but you know who it is, I think, Christine Vanna. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if it's positive. Yeah. Oh, I'm, oh yeah. I'm going to say nothing I'm happy to shout out about Christine Vanna. I, I could say Christine positive Vanna. things about Christine Vanna yeah. for the next two hours. Christine <laughs> oh, is a... A great friend and a great artist. Christine is absolutely wonderful. And she is one of the closest mentors in my life. We've done so many cool things together. And I owe her so much. And she knows me really, really well to a scary degree. (laughs) Yeah. But I got to see her for the first time in, in probably years and we got to reconnect and I kind of unloaded this existential crisis onto mm. her. And she was like, well, what do you want to do? And I right. remember just like kind of breaking down being like, I want to go back to school. I need to be learning again. Like, yeah. I don't know everything that I want to do. There's just so much more that is art related and animation related that I want to explore. And because I haven't gotten that chance, I feel like something's missing. And it was a time... Well, this is constantly happening. People saying that like grad school is the dumbest thing you can do right now. Grad school is definitely not something that that everybody should pursue, but it is it is for me. And I was yeah. realizing that this was the the right step. It is something that I had to I had to do. But it was Christine that like kind of talked that out of me and like coaxed it out. Right. Like, hey, it's okay if you want to do that. You can do it. <laughs> right. When that blurted out of your mouth, did you surprise yourself or was that kind of rolling around? In I your surprised head? myself with like how open I was about it, but it was something that I've been thinking about for a right. long time. It wasn't really something that I had verbalized to another yeah. person. What was stopping you from verbalizing that? There is there is a lot. I think I I was afraid of people telling me that I shouldn't because of money and because mm-hmm. of time and because it wouldn't give me anything that I didn't already know. And 
I kind of felt in my heart that all of that was wrong and it was something that I just needed to pursue. But I didn't want to hear people telling me that it was wrong, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. It's like, I've felt this about things. You can be as sure as possible about something Mm. in your life and still be really sensitive about what people say about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think a part of the reason why I wasn't going for it was because of the relationship I was in at the time. Mm. And I had this really long conversation with Christine and she she's very blunt about things a lot of the time <laughs> that's, that's and that's a good exactly mentor. what I need. Yeah, yeah. And she had to be like, okay, well, if it's a, a tough conversation that's stopping you from getting what you want, then why can't you just have that conversation? Mm. And like getting that permission all of a sudden was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up going back to the hotel room and um, me and my partner broke up over the phone. Oh, in Ottawa. In Ottawa. Okay. It, I didn't think you could top <laughs> yeah. the hospital experience yeah. for emotional. I didn't either. I didn't either. Wow. But this yeah. that's the kind of thing that happens to me in Ottawa. It's always <laughs> like both professionally and emotionally, right. like something something drastic will happen. It, it sounds like <laughs> Ottawa to you is like the narrative equivalent of like in a film when someone like takes psychedelics and wanders the desert. Exactly. Like you're going to come out a different person. <laughs> exactly. And you know what I did the the following morning? Wonder Oh, the tattoo. I was going to say take psychedelics <laughs> and wander psychedelics. Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did get a tattoo. Oh. Um, of a salmon which is related to my art about salmon, but also not really. A salmon is something for me that represents like transformation and a and a journey that changes you, which is why I got the salmon tattoo. It was it was that. not really impulsive, but it, it was it was pretty impulsive. And, and just to place on a timeline, <laughs> I'm judging just based on how dark that tattoo ink mm-hmm. that this was the most recent. Ottawa? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So this would have been about six months ago, yeah. give or take. Wow. Okay. So just to kind of like close the loop on this, so oh, you, sure. you've had this this Ottawa experience, <laughs> this transformation, and Christine helping you along and yeah. the tattoo. I mean, all of this is just like I don't even want to sum it up. Like just narratively, yeah. This is, it was it was a lot yeah, to get us toward that tail end. Mm-hmm. Where were you in the TV show Existential Crisis at this point? Or was that oh, over? That w- that was still happening. Okay. I was still in this job. I still had about a month to go in my contract. So I had to go back home, keep yeah. doing this job, still being like, okay, everything in my life was wrong. I was with the wrong person. I was doing the wrong job. I don't even know where to go now that I know that things that things need to be fixed. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> so did that uncertainty help you like finish that job? at least with a little bit more like peace of mind yeah. or was it still yeah. just kind of awful? I mean, it, it was, it was difficult, but knowing that I didn't have to do something like this for the rest of my life was definitely a load off my shoulders. Yeah. Like, I think you said it toward the beginning is that like getting to the tail end of this existential crisis was just accepting <laughs> that it existed. Yeah, exactly. So it's like at this moment now, maybe six months later, mm-hmm. how are you feeling? Are you still feeling very like excited about the uncertainty or, yeah, exactly. or what are your feelings exactly. around it? It's, it's learning to accept and be excited about the uncertainty yeah. rather than scared of it. Because I think if you told college me where I am right now, mm-hmm. I never would have guessed it, but I would be excited about it. And that's yeah. how I want to feel about where I'm going to be five years from now. Not knowing where it's going to go, but knowing that I'm going to be excited regardless. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> such a great attitude. Like, I wish. Well, it, took, it took an existential crisis to get to that conclusion. Yeah. Though. You know, it's part of existing, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's kind of actually a good segue into. um, Okay, so (laughs) I'll give a little context for the listeners. Sure. So Ariel recently completed a film called Inspiration Two, um, which premiered at the Weird Local Film Festival, which is run by a bunch of people, including guest number one in this podcast, Peter Levine, (laughs) and. I saw this film and uh, I loved it and it was really interesting and unique and different than your other work and different from a lot of the other work in the festival. Mm -hmm. Um, So I emailed Ariel, what was your inspiration? And they sent back and just for like (laughs) dramatic effect, I'll (laughs) unfold it. (laughs) This is the first time I've ever printed an email and brought it to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing, don't worry. But they sent back what amounts to, and this is not a complaint, I want to be clear. (laughs) I'm very excited about this, about two pages of just the entire story and emotional journey of making this film. (laughs) And so I have a few questions about this, but my first question is like, was this just like yearning to get out? And like, I I just (laughs) happened to be the one who like, Pulled out that Jenga piece. Exactly, yeah. You were the one that, like, opened the floodgates for there, that's it all a good to come out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that you printed it out. Yeah. I mean, the reason I printed it out is because, like, I love this email so much. Because, like, there's so much juiciness in this email that I actually think a lot of it, I imagine, is going to relate to what we just talked about. Yes. Your, yeah. It, your journey. This was a result of the existential crisis, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I love that. This is an unorthodox way to podcast for me, but I'm going to kind of, like, go in order through this email no, and kind please, of yeah. ask you about stuff. And I think that will hopefully take the listener a little bit through this journey. So at, before I do that, it is the kind of film that people probably won't be able to visualize until yeah. they eventually see it. Yeah. So whenever it gets released, whether it's soon, whether it's years from now, I'll link to it. But if you can just sort of describe it very briefly. Of course, yeah. So Inspiration 2 is a biography about a man named Larry Walters. Um, Larry Walters is famous for creating an aircraft out of 45 weather balloons and a lawn chair and taking um, an hour-long flight above Los Angeles. It's about him. It's about his journey, but it's also about the aftermath of the journey. Mm. Um, Not to spoil the film, but the film is about his experience after that flight, realizing that no one will ever understand why he did it, because this was a lifelong dream for him that he accomplished. And because it happened, he was never taken seriously again and ended up taking his own life. 10 years later in the same forest, he flew over in that aircraft. And I present his story with the craziest method of animation that there is <laughs> through a praxinoscope that I built. <laughs> Which I'll, I'll just quickly say for the non-animators is it kind of looks like a merry-go-round yeah. and through mirrors, if you look at one spot, um, it animates the same way that if you were watching like a film strip go by. Yeah. Is I that was, act, does that feel accurate exactly, for, yeah. for the was, layman? It's a Victorian toy that predates film and it's one of the oldest methods of moving image that there is. Yeah, it was something that I built for my grad school application. (laughs) Right, and the praxinoscope was an image of Larry Walters in the chair, right? Yeah, it was just the chair, the empty chair rising up. Yeah. Into the clouds. And then the rest of the film, if I can quickly describe it, and you mm-hmm. can add to this, just I just want to give enough context. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. The rest of the film <laughs> included almost like documentary style biographical details. I think there was some text in there, right? Or, mm-hmm. or some narration. And then also um, there was like archival footage of Larry Walters on the David Letterman show, kind of not being taken seriously in the context of that like talk show. And um, you used, I believe it was like scratching on film, right? Yeah. yeah to kind of accentuate emotional 
emotional beats of that. Or you can tell me what, what the scratching no, meant to you. that's exactly but yeah. what it was, yeah. I'm going to kind of go in order of this email. The first thing that, <laughs> that I really like I was drawn to in this email is you said, it was the first time I made a film that was not for profit or for school. Yes. And so, because this is a question I ask myself whenever I finally ever find time to make <laughs> things not for profit. Was it hard to zero in on this idea when you're like, why this one? Oh, it was so hard. This was so scary of a film to make because at every step of it, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. The Praxinoscope started because I wanted to make a Praxinoscope for my experimental animation portfolio to apply to grad school. Right. I had to find a topic What is the Praxinoscope going to be about? Right. I could do something pretty and meaningless. A lot of the time my animation is like cute animals, something very colorful and lighthearted. Yeah. And I couldn't stop myself from thinking like, wait a minute, if I'm making a Praxinoscope, this is such a symbolic medium. There is so much meaning to this thing that is a very, very old method of animation that is constantly looping and That is so rich to me and rich in meaning that it had to be about something. It couldn't just be meaningless and pretty. And I kept going back to the idea of a journey and that journey being a cycle that that never ends because a praxinoscope never ends. It's a cycle. And this story of Larry Walters is something that's kind of been on my mind for a long time. I just kept coming back to it. Like it just makes so much sense. But at the same time, it's like this is this is crazy. Like, this is already a weird way to animate. Why am I telling such a weird story with it? But it wasn't something that I could just, like, not think about. It was all encompassing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said in in the uh, infamous email, uh, <laughs> you said this piece of writing you described as a poem about Larry Walters that mm-hmm. it was in your in one of your inspiration folders yeah. for almost a decade which, yes. which if I'm doing the math <laughs> means you were I believe like a kid when you first started thinking about Larry I, I found it on Tumblr ah. um, a very long time ago um, and it was a it's a poem printed on a balloon yeah so it becomes an art piece and it never left my mind. And Are you up for reading it? Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. I, I apologize that we don't know, or maybe you do, but I don't know the original. I author. have the name, and I don't know it off the top of my head, right. but I have the name of the poet. I can put her name in the um, Perfect, outro. Yeah. So this is the poem that that I've had forever. For Larry Walters, who dreamed since he was a child of using balloons to fly, who in 1982 spent $4,000 of his truck-driving delivery man salary to buy supplies, including one lawn chair, 42 balloons, and a helium tank, which he used to inflate the balloons, arranging them in a ring around the lawn chair, a sturdy aluminum type from Sears, in which he launched himself along with his pellet gun and water jugs a thousand feet a minute into the California sky with the goal of clearing the San Gabriel Mountains to reach the Mojave, who against all odds flew from a backyard in San Pedro to Long Beach, an imperfect man on an imperfect flight path, who brought his camera but didn't use it, who, upon his arrest by the Long Beach police, was quoted as saying, a man can't just sit around. (laughs) Fuck yes, Larry, you did it, baby. I love it. (laughs) And I don't know how much you remember this day on Tumblr Mm -hmm. as a teenager, Mm -hmm. but do you have any sense of what initially drew you to that balloon? And, you know, we all are drawn to like thousands of things on the internet every day. But the two lines, a man can't just sit around and fuck yes, Larry, you did it, baby. The pure enthusiasm of the way that it was written how 
joyful the author seems to be about this crazy experience yeah and how it's a tribute to something so fantastical and weird and how yeah. beautiful that was at the time did you look more into larry walters or did that come later that came later so you mentioned that when you rediscovered this balloon image, mm -hmm. which was a couple months ago when you were making this praxinoscope. You said it took you a whole week to convince yourself because the idea felt so absurd. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, what was the argument going on in your head during that week? I felt like I couldn't do both crazy things at once, like tell this crazy story and also use this crazy method of animation. Oh, that's interesting. And I had to convince myself that they fit together like a puzzle piece. They weren't right. fighting against each other. The story fits so well into the medium of a praxinoscope that like, I couldn't make it about anything else. Mm. And that was hard for me to accept <laughs> because it felt so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> You've got this praxinoscope, which you'd you know, talked about creating your brother, who's an engineer or engineering student, you said mm -hmm. helped you. You mentioned, I felt like a mad scientist. The I did whole feel time. like a mad scientist. So, yeah, the whole tell time. me about that. Yeah, feeling. from the start, I felt like I was like on the brink of curing a disease. And I was like always <laughs> one step away from like a huge epiphany. Yeah. And I couldn't do anything but like keep frantically working and hoping that I, it would like make sense. Right. If that makes sense. W was that a good feeling? Oh, yeah. It was like, it was like an ecstatic feeling. Oh, like and, it, and I had so much energy that was like pouring into this. I felt like a mad scientist. So like, yeah. <laughs> how how did this affect like? Because you know, within your life with your your friends and family or whoever you interact with, you know, in the movie version, they like peek through the door and mm -hmm. Ariel, you okay? And you have like really long fingernails. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how it felt. <laughs> I had to go to my roommates and my friends like constantly and be like, does this make sense? Because I can't see anything else. Right. I am unable to think about anything else. Is this legible to anyone who's not me? And my two roommates were very enthusiastic about it, very supportive about it. And we're constantly like, yeah, this is really cool. Cool. Like, I don't really get a lot of it, but you're doing great. I think it works. Yeah. And that was all I needed to just like keep going. That's cool. <laughs> and you kind of touched on this because you said it felt good to feel like a mad scientist, but oh, just yeah. even in the more general thing of having these ideas that you just like have to make, you're mm -hmm. just so compelled on the scale from blessing to curse. <laughs> In the moment, what does it feel like? It, it sounds like looking back, you view it as a blessing. Yeah, but it was definitely a curse at the time. Yeah. I like I couldn't do anything right. else. <laughs> Again, I was always thinking about what materials I had to get. I was planning this like big pilgrimage via public transit to Worcester, mm. where my brother goes to school to like get the supplies from him so that he could like engineer a motor for yeah. it so that it can like turn on and off with a switch. I was just always thinking about it and it was it just like wrapped up my whole life in a way that I couldn't escape it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that it almost felt scary. I was like, am I ever gonna get to a point where I feel like this is finished? Mm. Or is this just my life now? Right. Working on this film that I don't even understand. <laughs> Did you notice at the time any contrast? Because like two months earlier, you were like, I guess I'm a TV animator and I hate it. <laughs> and then now you're like a mad scientist yeah. in your room like, Eureka, brother, hand me the motor. <laughs> did you feel any of that contrast at the time where you're like, did I overcorrect? <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. It definitely felt like 
it felt more right to do this. Like it definitely felt like I was sliding into a role that that fit me, but way mm. too fast. Like falling down a mountain <laughs> into I, I don't know. <laughs> like, like you dove in the deep end of new R. Exactly, and it was a hard adjustment that happened very fast. How intertwined did you start feeling with uh, Larry Walters as you thought about it? I or? was Larry Walters. Mm. Like this Praxinoscope was my aircraft made yeah. out of a lawn chair. I was making something spontaneous and absurd. It yeah. was an act of absurdity that people didn't understand, but I had to do it. I had no you choice had, but to yeah. do it. So me and Larry were, were very close during that time. <laughs> and then, so, okay, to continue the story, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're getting there through page two. <laughs> to continue the story, um, you mentioned you finished the praxinoscope mm-hmm. and you couldn't shake the feeling that you weren't done. Yeah, I finished the praxinoscope right on the same day that my graduate school application was due. Ain't that just so the I, way? <laughs> I had to like scramble. <laughs> I was also really sick. Oof, I had to yeah. like run to Michael's and get string lights because you couldn't see it inside. It was too dark. I had to assemble the motor. I had to put it on top of something and film it. And then I realized that it didn't make sense and I had to put context in the video video alongside the moving praxinoscope. So that's where the Letterman footage came in because that was a good way to tell some of the story, like mm. give some of the context about about what was going on. And this is a big part of your film. Mm. Is this moment after he's achieved his dream of flying where he goes on David Letterman, you know, and I will say like as a viewer of the film, I don't think I connected as much that he was being necessarily mocked or laughed mm-hmm. at, which I which I feel like is what you drew out of it. But he definitely was being treated as like a kooky character. Exactly, yeah. And not like a conquering hero. Yeah. So after I built the Praxinoscope and I felt this like deep connection to Larry Walters and I was trying to put together like the very bare minimum of context so that yeah. I could include it in my portfolio for the application, that's when I watched the interview. And in that state of mind, like exhausted, slightly mm-hmm. feverish, hearing him glowing, like talking about yeah. how proud he is of this accomplishment. And then hearing the laughter in the audience, I like broke down in tears. Wow. It's like, I feel this so deeply that they don't understand and they're never going to get it. And he looks crushed. And all of this, his whole life, he's been working towards this goal. Yeah. It wasn't enough. He ne- he didn't get what he wanted from it. Right. And that connection, that was the moment I realized, like, I had to tell more of this story. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from that moment of, of that realization that it wasn't enough. Yeah. And connecting with him in that way, like, it seems like you just, like, hit the ground running. Oh, like, yeah. having to make this <laughs> film. Again, you describe your mental state. Like, I felt like I was going crazy. The story was affecting me so much emotionally. I, I couldn't present it in an impartial way. Yeah. How did you keep going? <laughs> oh, because, like... I had no other choice. <laughs> right. I guess we're, we keep going. Because at this to that point, theme. me and Larry Walters, like, I felt like we were the same person. Right. And I felt like he was facing an injustice and I had to keep telling his story because it was exactly how I felt. Was that a lot of pressure? Definitely for, for me. Um, I, it wasn't like from any other source of other course, than like yeah. my own brain. Yeah. <laughs> Did it worry you? Like, were there moments where you were like, or you or people outside, like, were like, <laughs> Ariel's only responding to Larry now. Like, <laughs> what's happening? 
Um, yeah, definitely felt like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I felt and the I, more like I talked about it, the less people understood. It was mm-hmm. just kind of like a, yeah, you got this. Right. Which probably made you feel more like Larry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I, I don't think you're the only artist or writer or any whoever to get really wrapped up in a subject that they're presenting biographically. But it's so interesting to hear like what it felt like to be inside <laughs> of that. So that kind of brings you to like, how did you finish this? It's hard mm-hmm. to finish any film. Yeah. It's hard to finish any film that's really important to you. Mm-hmm. I know this firsthand from several things I made. Mm-hmm. And you're describing a film that it's not just important to you, but your blood is flowing through this film. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> you're surgically like connected. I don't know. This is a I'm trying to think of a better metaphor. No, that's exactly how it was. It's like, how did how did you finish something that had become so much a part of your psyche, for better mm-hmm. or for worse. I'll let I'll let any, I'll let psychologists weigh in on that. I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't have a we can we can unpack that. I later. don't have enough knowledge uh, <laughs> to know if that's good or bad. But uh, how did you finish it? I kind of blacked out and it, it just kind of popped out of me. But <laughs> I had to ask for a lot of help, mm-hmm. not for making the film, but like understanding the film. I took it to Twitter and was just like, "Hey, my my friends, my close <laughs> friends only." can someone watch this weird thing I made right. and like just tell me how it is making you feel? And one of those people was Matt, who did a great job giving me feedback. This is Matt BR? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, Matt, yeah, yeah. former guest on this podcast. Yeah. who's Friend incredible. of the pod and yeah, friend of me. friend of the pod, <laughs> friend of me. But a lot of people, not everybody understood it, which I was expecting. Yeah. Um, but everybody had some kind of emotional response to it. One of my friends who is not at all an animator or artist, like she, I think, is like a, a bio something major. Mm-hmm. Um, she watched it and she was like, I feel feel like I am a toddler and my family is watching the news and Whoa. I don't understand it, but I feel something. That is such a cool reaction. That's <laughs> I, so specific. And I loved that. I love that and so much. My favorite feedback is from people who are not artists and mm. are very removed from the art world because yeah. it's always a very sincere reaction to it. To go on a tangent, um, back when I finished Salmon Cannon. Salmon Cannon is Ariel's senior thesis. Yes. I was over at one of my mom's friend's house with my mom. And uh, this is this woman in her 50s who is very, very smart and someone whose opinion I valued very Mm -hmm. highly. And she's also a homeschooling mom and a Christian. And I showed her my film, like on my phone, because she was asking questions about me and she was very sweet. And after she watched it, she, I think she teared up a little bit and we were talking and she had so many questions. And she said, my favorite part of the film was when he goes up into heaven and he sees his baby. Whoa. And like, (laughs) that shook me to my core. There are a lot of layers to that. That is not at all like the intention, but I loved it so, so much. That's the kind of people that I was I was trying to seek out and ask advice about this film. Like I was also sending it to my brother who's an engineering major yeah. and like I don't think understood it at all but kept being like, <laughs> "Yeah, I love Larry Walters." It's so refreshing. <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear that you 
specifically seek feedback mm. from non-artists because and I'm guilty of this being I think artists have a lot of conversations where we're like well other people don't understand and right? it can feel like that because like <laughs> maybe they don't understand what it's like to turn into a mad scientist right. for some hyper specific idea <laughs> that you have to use tools and paints and computers exactly. to put together but it's, it's really cool I, I I'm inspired by that is all I want to <laughs> say that's like the second piece of the puzzle of something that I feel is really important for artists to have non-artist friends exactly yeah um, but I don't think I'm utilizing those people for feedback enough. I don't think I am either. And I'm glad that this project showed me that I can do that and that they will always have really, really cool feedback. The only reason I finished this film was because the people that I showed it to were like, okay, I understand this now. Yeah. Or maybe if you added this, I would understand it better. And yeah. I think I continued working on it for like a month after the, the initial Praxinoscope was finished, maybe two months. And I did like weird 35 millimeter animation. I did rotoscoping. Yeah. I did as much as I felt was needed. And eventually I watched it back and I felt like there's nothing really more I can do. I think this is it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> felt complete. Felt like the story was told. So then bringing it to, we're finally toward the end of the email, yeah. but also where where we started with our contacts is mm -hmm. that you, I believe, kind of premiered this at the yeah, Weird- Yeah, it was a premiere. The Weird Local Film Festival in Boston, which is a really welcoming festival. Mm -hmm, yeah. So talk about the reaction you got at Weird Local and how that made you feel. It was very, very cool to be at Weird Local. It was so awesome of Peter to let me bring the praxinoscope yeah, <laughs> and great. like set it up on a table and like let people play with it. Um, my friend Emily, who was a major, major part of telling me that I wasn't crazy while I was making the film, got to come with me and was like kind of a wingman defending the film yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. talking about it and starting conversations when I was too shy to. And... I was very scared that people wouldn't understand it. And based off of the reaction that I got from a few people in the audience, I came away from the night feeling like nobody did because a few people came to me and said, I really loved your film. I couldn't stop laughing. I tried not to be crushed, but I was a little bit crushed. <laughs> right, that's hard. And I yeah. mean, you don't need me to draw the parallel to the, to the Dave, David yeah. Letterman interview. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how are you feeling now? It's been two or three weeks since mm -hmm. we're local. Where are you at emotionally with this film, with the reaction? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I I feel like the story is told, and I, I am really happy with how it went. Looking back on it, I... I'm glad that not everyone really got it because I mm. think if everyone did, that would defeat the point of it. I made something really absurd and strange yeah. and kind of tragic. And if everyone understood that tragic element, it wouldn't really need to be told. So I, after a few weeks, I'm, I'm definitely like happy with the way that it was presented. Right. Which you, did take some time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like when you came home from Weird Local. I mean, I'm sure you had fun because it's a fun night. But like, were you bummed? I was very lucky premiere? to have my friend Emily with me because mm -hmm. she immediately made the parallel. Like, oh, they didn't get Larry Walters either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a genius, and they laughed at him, and that that was very sweet. I really appreciated her immediately, like intuitively knowing what I was feeling when yeah. people said that they thought it was funny, and. 
I almost like found myself seeing the situation as an outside perspective, seeing like, oh, it makes sense that people would find it funny. And it right. makes like a narrative sense that people would find it funny. Right. And because of that, I can accept it. Wow. Okay. So this is a journey. I'm going to like <laughs> take a deep breath. There's just so much there. I, I mean, I, I, but actually, <laughs> I want to zoom out slightly. Yeah, sure. Um, it's maybe weird. First of all, I think these are probably connections you've maybe made, but you can let me know. I cannot help but see a lot of parallels between Sam and Cannon oh, yeah. and Inspiration 2. Oh, yeah. For the audience, Sam and Cannon, Ariel Senior Thesis, which is available online. Sam and Cannon is an experimental film where a salmon is fired into outer space, potentially even like another dimension, but goes up into the sky mm-hmm. and comes down changed yeah and sees the world in a different way yeah and there's so many parallels there with (laughs) larry walters and then also on top of that is both the larry walters story and sam and cannon came from your fascination with absurd mechanics like a lawn chair with balloons was a discovery you made that you were drawn to as well as a which is a real thing right Mm -hmm, that they use a device to shoot salmon upstream or something so that the salmon can like get to their new habitat to aid them up there without them doing too much work or without them disturbing the environment right but yeah real invention (laughs) that shoots fish so so that's a parallel your your fascination with inventions which then I am going to add a layer to (laughs) which is that both of those films also involved devices that you had to build. Because um, Sam and Cannon had some zoetropes, right? Yeah, it had a fenachistoscope. And it had it also had 35-millimeter animation. And I had to build the space set out of a cardboard box. And I had to build the space fish out of a lot of things. I'm just going to lay all these parallels yeah, on no, the table. Do, do you it. have any reaction to this? Are these parallels you're aware of? Or is it more subconscious? It was definitely self-conscious. I A lot of this I didn't even pick up until like right this moment. The <laughs> idea that like both of them went into the sky is making me feel crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it brought you right back to mad scientist mode. Yeah. Well, that it's interesting. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not the qualified psychologist, mm-hmm. but to like bring it back to maybe your own journey the past year. Does any of your journey, does any of the existential crisis feel at all like you went into the sky? Oh, yeah. Like that was Ottawa. I went mm-hmm. I went up and then I came down. Wow. So Ottawa. <laughs> and now I'm different. See, that's very interesting. I didn't know where you would place the sky in this story. It's, it's very Canada. interesting. Canada. <laughs> Canada is up. We yeah. know this from a map. It's up. <laughs> so we do have to get to our lightning round soon. There's a million things oh, I want to ask you about. Wow. You, you are... Prime sequel territory. (laughs) Um, The other thing I'm interested in asking you about, what did it feel like to graduate in 2020? Was it anticlimactic? Was it hopeless? I would describe it as despair. Mm -hmm. Um, Like working so hard on this project, my film Salmon Cannon, only for it to like... It felt like it wasn't going anywhere because yeah. our senior show was canceled or not canceled, but like taken online. Right. To, which, which felt like, like we all know is like kind of yeah. like canceled. Not to disparage, they're, they're a wonderful <laughs> and it online was a, experience. It was a fun experience, but it was not the Brattle Theater, of which course. I was really excited about. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of crushing. And yeah. I definitely felt like a deep despair, like this is hopeless and we're never going to get out of this. And now I am a college graduate and everything is different. Everything that I thought I could count on is no longer available. So I kind of had to rebuild my whole structure back up. I had to reevaluate like all the things that I had been depending on. And it was, it was very hard. 
when did you first start to come out of that? <laughs> well, I had to go back to work. I went yeah. to back to work at my retail job in Cambridge across mm. the street from Leslie um, in the summer of 2020 um, because they needed a manager. Yeah. And I was the only one who was kind of local. So that definitely helped. Like getting out of the house yeah. was a major first step. And it was nice because not really anybody was in the store and I could just right. be alone and kind of quietly make art. That's cool. Uh, I was very lucky to like be in a a store that sold art supplies yeah. and like I could just be alone in the store and like not steal stuff but <laughs> for the record uh, for the record Bar using no, some things that I was allowed to use as an employee of the store and just kind of like be alone listen to music and yeah. and make art because I was getting paid to sit there that was really nice it was very therapeutic and then I got offered some jobs. I got offered two different remote teaching jobs, some Zoom animation classes for two different organizations. And that kind of changed everything. Yeah. Like I wasn't really planning on going into teaching, but I was really glad that it was happening. And then I imagine in some at least indirect way that led to you coming back and teaching some classes at Leslie. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, in both positive and negative ways or whatever, wherever you want to answer this, you went back to teach at your university yeah. <laughs> very, very soon after graduating to the point where like you might have had some of your friends in your classes. <laughs> yep, I'm not sure. I did. <laughs> yeah, and what was that experience like? Um, it was kind of scary. Um, yeah. I was kind of terrified of people knowing that I had very recently graduated. Right. Um, not like immediately graduated, but like it had only been about a year. And yeah. that was something I hid a lot. Was the fear that they'd be like, what could they teach us? Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, even though I was teaching freshmen, yeah. um, it was something that I was not I wasn't boasting about it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Because I wanted people to take me seriously and see me as an authority figure. Yeah. And that, I will say, I, I didn't start teaching college until I was maybe like 28 or something. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I never taught at my own college. Right. <laughs> that said, I can relate to you in that imposter syndrome was oh, yeah. and is a big part of oh, being yeah. a teacher because you're like, who am I? Right. <laughs> yeah. Especially comparing myself to, my fellow teachers at Leslie, mm. everyone else had more experience than I did. And that was kind of terrifying. Um, it was also another reason why I put so much pressure on this this TV job that I got um, last yeah. summer. Like, finally, I have something that I can talk about. Real experience right. in the real world <laughs> of animation. Yeah. Finally, I know what I'm talking about. Were there any positive things you noticed about being closer in age to some of your students than, say, me? I'm generally like 15 to 20 years older than mm. these students now. I think a lot of good came from being closer in age to my students. I found it very easy to relate to them. I feel like they trusted me a lot. It was right. easy to communicate with them. I can make jokes that they thought were funny yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, I understood their references some of the time, but I didn't really feel that connection until I started teaching this class internship seminar, mm. which was not really a popular class to teach. <laughs> it was kind of thrown at me because because I was the rookie right. and I loved it. Oh, wow. I love teaching it so much because it's a class where you learn how to get an internship as a Leslie student, which was something that I've done. I have experience doing the exact thing that they were trying to do. Yeah. And I found it so easy to talk to them about how to be professional as a student and how to make connections and how to build your portfolio and 
how to get an internship. I made so many great relationships in that class. I taught it again this past semester. It was it was just wonderful. There are pros to being 15 to 20 years older than your students in terms of like just life and job experience. But a con is that like I am farther away yeah. from what it feels like to right be like now. out of school or in school and like hungry. Yeah. And like I can relate to those things emotionally because I can I go through parallel things mm-hmm. in, at this point in my life. Do you feel that like one of the things that helps you teach that class is that you're out of school, but you're still in that oh, yeah. era of, of <laughs> hunger. And... Every day, yeah. Definitely, especially because I graduated into COVID and mm. they are still kind of dealing with the repercussions of that yeah. for better or for worse. I feel like they trust me more yeah. because I am looking for a job in a post-COVID world, being a freelance animator after that has happened. A lot of the other professors that they go to for advice are talking about what it was like to get an animation job 15 years ago yeah. or 30 years ago. Right. And it's very, very different from like walking into Walt Disney's office and, yeah. and handing him your business card. Yeah. Oh, my God. I remember just, I remember being in college and we'd have these guest speakers, great people, but they were like old school like yeah. animators. And they'd be like... Well, I was the janitor at this um, <laughs> at this television station, and then the boss said, "How'd you like to be a director?" Exactly. <laughs> like, well, we got to get to our lightning yes. round. Our first lightning round question: mm-hmm. What is something you learned the hard way? And this could be about art, life, or where it overlaps. Something you learned the hard way that you would be happy for other people to just learn the easy way. You'd be happy for them to just not have to go through that. When I went to Ottawa the most recent time, I was with my students, the students Mm -hmm. that I had an internship seminar, and I hope none of them are listening to this, but I love you guys so much. I saw them doing the exact same thing that I was doing when I was a senior and on the Ottawa trip, and I saw a lot of them like focusing on, on the wrong things, like, oh, what does that person think of me, and like, what can I do to make a good impression on all these cool animation directors and putting so much pressure on networking and the act of making connections and being the cool animator like seeing them get so stressed out about it thinking like who am I to talk to these people I can't just go up to someone and start a conversation it's this feeling of being like against the wall at a school dance yeah yeah Yeah. and I remember like seeing myself as an outside perspective in these students and being like Mm -hmm. wait a second this is stupid. Like you're super cool. You have great art. Go talk to that director. They're not going to be overthinking this like you are. And the fact that you are overthinking this, that's going to stop you from trying the scary thing next time. What is something you learn the hard way that you're glad you learned the hard way? There was no better way for you to learn it except for to be very challenged. Oh, I mean, it was definitely good for me to go through that job that I had a lot of trouble with that that made me feel like I was in the wrong place. It was really good for me to have that realization, even though at the time it sucked so bad and it felt like I was doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. And I guess this applies to like everything that I I realized in hindsight that I was doing wrong. This job and, and my relationship of multiple years like ending at the same time, there were a lot of parallels with that as well because I was realizing that I had spent a lot of time focusing on the wrong thing and in the wrong place. And that is okay. It is okay to be in the wrong place and realize it and move on and take what you've learned from it and change it into something new. In what ways 
was your relationship overlapping with your career that like made you realize they couldn't overlap? I had to make a change in both and they weren't really related, but it was the same feeling mm. of like, I know deep down that this is wrong. Um, not just for me, but for the other party, whether it is like the other job or the other person. Yeah. Like maybe I'm not the best fit. Right. And maybe you're not the best fit. And maybe that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. like, it, it is interesting, <laughs> the parallel of, and I know this, I've I've also been in relationships too long. This right. is run its course. <laughs> this doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, as I'm thinking about relationships that need to end, especially at times of great personal growth, mm-hmm. I have the image that you said at the beginning of, <laughs> I'm drawing lines and they're not even my lines. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. And it's it's grunt work and you're not happy. And part of that unhappiness is thinking that you wasted time and you wasted energy and feeling like you'll never get that back. Um, even though there was something valuable from it. Right. Because then you've you've learned something. And then the last lightning round question. What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with experimental animation, oh, yeah. researching balloon guys? <laughs> <laughs> I have three pet rodents, two rats mm. and a gerbil. All right. And Great they, band name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Their names are Parsley, Cilantro, and Paddington is the gerbil. And they take up a lot of my time in a creative way because rodents are very reactive to their environment and they like always need stimulation and playing with them and like giving them new things to explore is very enriching for me also. Yeah. So that's something that that I put creative energy into. Very mad scientist yeah, of you definitely. to have rodents. <laughs> to have rats in my house. Yeah. I would not show them your films because they're going to be like, am I going to have to go up in some sort of device? Is a, is a little rat hot air balloon going to happen? <laughs> I love that image. Um, but also live music. I mm. love going to concerts and meeting people and and experiencing music live. I like going alone. Um, to concerts, which is something that I've I've had to learn to do because a lot of the time I'm having an emotional response that the person I'm with will not be. And I just I've learned that I need to just like go solo and and have a moment and and come out different, which is wow. I guess the whole <laughs> thesis of this conversation. Yeah, having wow. a moment and then being different. Sometimes I like meet people and talk to them. And sometimes yeah. I just like completely zone out and be in my own head and be like, that was great. <laughs> Do you have a favorite recent concert you've been to? Oh, I think it was last fall um i saw a small band and then a smaller band opened for them at the crystal ballroom in somerville and i got to meet the band and talk to the drummer um the band is called sorry mom i believe um they were opening for remember sports which is a favorite band of mine and i i got to talk to them and have a cool conversation and i had had like two drinks at that point and was (laughs) like if you ever need an animator this is my instagram I'll work on a music video for you. Oh yeah. Followed me and it was just like super, super cool. <laughs> I love it. I hope you get to do a music video. I uh, hope so. I, Sorry, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I see many music videos in your future just because your work yeah. like, is awesome. And it's awesome in a way that I think musicians who are also like mad scientists exactly. uh, and also just like create things because they have to. Right. Yeah. Um, Great. We we did it. We made it through the lightning round. Wow. We made it through the email. We did it. All <laughs> a million pages of it. Oh man. One of the one of the best emails. One for the books. Oh wow. Um, that means a lot. <laughs> it's like you knew the way to my heart. You're like, I'm just gonna talk about creativity for like a lot of paragraphs. I'm like, this I had is to. Gold. <laughs> 
Um, Ariel, where can people find and follow you, find your work, watch Salmon Cannon, maybe watch Inspiration 2 whenever you decide to release it? I'm not sure when Inspiration 2 is going to hit the internet because it feels deeply personal, Mm -hmm. but I know that it will come eventually. Yeah. Um, One of these days, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out (laughs) and available. But they can find me at arielegrub.com and also at arielegrub on Instagram. And that's grub with two Bs, Two Bs, yeah. That's great. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. (sighs) I really appreciate it. This is such like a a bucket list moment. (laughs) I'm so glad I got to do this. I'm honored to be on someone's bucket list. (laughs) Thanks for taking us on this journey. It was a journey. (laughs) I feel like I've been to the sky and I've come back changed. Thank you so much for listening to this new episode of I Loved This Conversation. Real quick, the name of the writer that Ariel discovered on Tumblr with that Larry Walters quote is Amelia Gray. And that piece was printed on a balloon that was part of a special edition of McSweeney's magazine that included a set of balloons. I hope I got that right. Uh, Sounds cool. Please help this podcast out by sharing, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that podcast stuff we all ask you to do. Think of it like putting a tip in my tip jar. It really, really helps. Also, just share an episode directly with a friend. That's how I discover new podcasts all the time is someone texting me, WhatsApping me, DMing me. Hey, have you listened to this? It's really cool. So think about which one of your friends might like this episode and send it along to them if you can think of someone. This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you so much to the whole team there. I love recording there. Thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, Adam's solo project. As always, I recommend another episode or two to listen to if you want to keep the magic conversation going. In this episode, we shouted out Peter Levine and Matt Bruno Richardson. So why don't you go back and listen to their episodes? Just scroll way back. They're the first two episodes, which it's actually a little vulnerable to share those with you because I was new at this podcast and they might sound a little different. On the other hand, Peter and Matt both have really interesting things to say and really interesting stories, and I'd be so excited for you to meet them and hear what they're all about. All right, that's all. We'll have another episode in two weeks, so I will see you then. 